Welcome to the OA Light the Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Martha. Hi everyone, my name is Martha, I'm a compulsive reader in Bulimic. Uh, get grounded here. Um, and wow, what a great night to, uh, I, I, first of all, thank you, um, uh, Susan, who, who's at Celebrating Passover, um, who invited me. And it's just always an honor to be asked to do anything in OA. Um, not to sound super cliche, but I know this program saved my life. and. This room specifically was the first meeting I came to, and my sponsor, Leslie, um, who brought me to this meeting and, and to recovery, and um, Michael, who was my, uh, now my future husband, but he brought me with my Eskimo back to this, this program after I came and left, and I'll tell you that story later. It's awesome. And um, yeah, just congratulations, everyone who's, I, I just, I remember taking those chips. And, um, and I remember that feeling of like, this isn't a clean enough chip because I'm still eating certain foods and, you know, um, just, it's just that feeling of, like, nothing's quite enough and I'll never really feel good and just building up to that first year. And now um, I have my my bottom-line abstinence, um, like our friend who just took a tip, is just no throwing up no matter what. And a lot of, I have uh, my, just over seven years, my um, abstinence date is January 5th of 2009. Um, and I... Um, you know, I, I have at different times thought about, you know, or tried to change my abstinence to like adding no sugar and, you know, no no compulsive eating. And for me that, um, you know, I, I have really respected what my sponsor told me, which is just that because she, she has almost 30 years of recovery from bulimia and she has, has told me that she wants her girl to have just kept changing their date um, based on or trying to do no binging or purging and then you know, that if you if you binge and uh, have to change your date and you throw up, sometimes it's just very, very hard to um, stop throwing up again. And I've taken that to heart because I threw up for the first time when I was 17 um, and for that, for, you know, God willing, if I stay on this program and keep doing these steps for the last time when I was 39, and that's 23 years of vomiting, and I can't, I know that I could have died from that. Um, I'll tell you more, a little bit more about some of the things I did, but I binged and purged through cancer treatment and um, through just in, just in situations that were so horrifying. Um, I, I was really, really killing myself with bulimia, and I'm just, I will do anything not to live like that again. Um, so, um, yeah, and I, I just think about how to, how to um, I, I also just, just really, um, identified with everyone who, who shared a little bit of their story. Um, and for me, it was really, really important. I really want to share a lot about my recovery and, and how I live now and, and just the miracles I've experienced here and the freedom and, um, you know, just to, to really give you hope if you're suffering and if you feel like, um, you know, you'll, you'll never really feel good in your body and you'll never be able to eat normally. I, I want to share all of that, but I do also, it was so important to me when I came here to hear that people ate like I ate and that they threw up like I threw up and that they, they had that, you know, 
to, to hear people share and even laugh about that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization was really, um, it just made me feel like it was okay. Because there was a lot of stuff I was really, really in denial about and that I had never, ever um, shared with anyone. Like, just hearing somebody talk about throwing up in, in a bag in their car and then hiding. I remember one of my first meetings, this woman shared about um, having her bag of vomit from her car, um, throwing it out by a trash can while she was driving to work, and then driving home and being like, oh, there's my bag of vomit. And I had done stuff like that. And to, to hear somebody like share about it and laugh was just um, really, um, it, it, it really helped me so much. Um, let me just uh, give you some little highlights. Um, I, I did not come to OA willingly at all. I came because I, um, and I didn't on some level, to be honest, I always just thought that all my, my whole life, as far back as I can remember, like from the age of nine, probably I'd been um, either like dieting or obsessing about my body or, you know, figuring out like going up and down in weight. I was never super heavy because when I was a kid, we were really poor and lived in a very health food household. So it was like nothing but like lentils and mung beans and brown rice and very little of it. So I didn't have a lot of opportunity. I probably, if I grew up in a family that had a big pantry and access to junk food, I probably would have been a fat kid. Um, but, you know, by the time I got my job at McDonald's and had my own money to buy food, I ended up, I started throwing up pretty soon after that. So I kind of controlled it that way. But um, I, you know, just, it was just years and years and years. But, but in between the years of, like, pretty pretty bad bulimia and, and yo-yo dieting and obsession, there were periods of time where I got really healthy and just, like, lost a bunch of weight and started running 10Ks. And in my mind, that was, like, the real me, and the rest of it was just, like, little things that happened and I could fix it all up. And I was always going to, like, therapy and reading self-help books and, you know, just changing my life and starting a new journal. And, you know, just I just always felt like I could fix it. And then what happened, um, you know, what ended up bringing me to OA was um, I... I also was an alcoholic, and when I got sober, um, and that was in uh, 2007, like, my bulimia took off, like, never before, and because, you know, my, my normal escape was gone, um, I just was, um, my, what ended up happening was my sponsor, my AA sponsor, saw what I was doing, like, I would go to these meetings that, that had all kinds of, like, you know, there's, I don't know if any of you have been to AA meetings, but there's like donuts and cookies and all kinds of stuff. And I would be binging, throwing up in the bathroom, missing half the meeting. And even if I wasn't doing that, I would be like so mentally checked out thinking about what I was going to eat after the meeting and where I would throw up. Um, I, and I almost, I had to sign a contract in my sober living house not to throw up in the house. And I, um, I broke that. I got in trouble and I could have gotten kicked out of sober living. And my sponsor, my AA sponsor just said, you know, you're, you're going to lose your sobriety if you do that. And she sent me to talk to Leslie, who was in our, our same home group, and um, she said, go, go talk to Leslie because she hasn't thrown up in a couple of decades and just do whatever she tells you to do. And that's what I did. And I, I came here, and it just seemed, um, you know, it just seemed really, really stupid to me. Like, I didn't want to be into 12-step programs. I was already doing the steps. I was already praying. I was doing all this stuff, and it just seemed 
useless and um, annoying and I did too much. And I and it's so funny, I think about this now because I was going to the, uh, at that point, I was going to like 7 a.m. meetings a week because I was pretty nearly sober and doing all these activities and stuff that we have in our group. I mean, this like kind of boot camp AA group. And, um, you know, just had all this, all this stuff going on. I was like, I don't have time to do another program and go to other meetings. I don't want to do... I think last they asked me to go to three OA meetings on top of my AA meetings and you know, make three calls a day, and there were all these requirements. And I just kept thinking, like, how I don't have any time. But all I was doing in my free time was, like, binging the Ralph Starting lot and, like, <laughs> or, like, binge-watching, like, I think it was in The Brave Anatomy at that time. One of those shows, like, and just stuffing my face and throwing up. And that was, like, my main leisure activity. And that's what I didn't want to interrupt it. So, I don't know. I, I have a hard time when I sponsor new people and they don't have time for meetings or, you know, they don't want to. I, I, I had to get to a point where I was willing to go to any length. Um, I mean, I'll just actually backtrack a little bit. Just keep an eye on the time, too, because I have a tendency to spend too much time on what it was like. But just, um, I, I'll just say my relationship with food, um, way, before I, way before I started drinking, food was my drug of choice. It was just, you know, I had, um, I grew up in a very unstable household. My dad's kind of mentally ill, and we were really poor, and we moved all the time, and, you know, grew up on welfare. And um, I was just throw this in. We were Jews on welfare, which is they're kind of like unicorns. It was kind of like, <laughs> so, um, I was like, <laughs> poor, poor, poor Mike. My, when Michael started dating me, he's like, how did I find the only poor Jew? <laughs> so, um, and we, we were in, I went to this, like, private Jewish school. This was when we lived in Calgary because they scholarship our family, and then, it just there was a lot of really uncomfortable situations and a lot of like secrets and lies and hiding what was going on in our family and just a lot of um, just a lot of instability and you know something was always like um, you know the, there'd be like no electricity and then we'd have the electricity back but the car wasn't insured and then the gas would be out and then the landlord would be tearing down the house and we had to move again and there was a whole period of time where we didn't even go to school we were like squatting in this empty apartment building that belonged to some Israeli friend of my dad's. And then just, like, we were, like, serial children during the day. And um, I just, I mean, none of that made me a compulsive overeater, but I just, for whatever, the the sense of, like, chronic, like, unease and insecurity and anxiety and, like, nothing's enough feeling that I was born with, um, you know, food solved that for me. Like, I, when I wasn't, whatever access I had to, like, foods that comforted me, um, I would just, I knew that it did. I knew that when I had an ice cream cone, I could see that it was a different experience for me than it was for for other kids. Like it was just sublime, and I just spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about food and how I could access it. And I I actually did make amends for this, but I used to we didn't have an allowance or anything before I got a job. I used to steal quarters out of my dad's pockets and go buy bags of M and M's and just like list out on on M and M's. And so. Fast forward to, like, um, when I, um, you know, then, obviously, I, as soon as I was old enough, I started, like, assessing, like, measuring my thighs and learning about calorie counts and, and dieting, but also realizing, like, how important food was to me. And then I ended up, um, I my other big thing was just, like, to, I had to escape from that crazy family and that life and all that fear and insecurity and 
and I knew the way, the only talent I had, because I wasn't good at sports or music or anything like that, the only talent I had was I was really good in school, and I was, a, I was like, uh, very academic, and teachers liked me, so <clears throat> I just knew that I could, if I did well enough in school, I could get scholarships and get out of there, so I ended up getting into this um, residential school, like a very prestigious international school on Vancouver Island. I grew up in Vancouver, Canada when I was 17, but that, and that school was like out in the wilderness and had all these like service activities and it was just, you lived with students from, country, from 63 different countries and it was an incredible experience, but it was also like overwhelming because there was all these, um, you know, smart kids from all over the world and all the, all the like super high expectations of everyone and um, it was, my, there was also unlimited starchy cafeteria food. So mm-hmm. I gained, um, my eating just took off there. And I gained like 25 pounds in, I, I went from like 120 to 145 in like, it seems like it was six weeks. Maybe I'm exaggerating. But it was like, oh, I was covered in stretch marks. I just couldn't stop eating. And that is when I like backtracked to all my like young adult novel reading and was like, I've got to get this bulimia thing down. And I'd read enough about it to, um, you know, I thought I could master it. And then I, that's when I started growing up and I actually had like, I had a certain level of pride in it. Like I was like, I'm actually really good at this. Like I knew how to layer the foods. I knew how to find the bulimic bathrooms where, you know, the doors go down to the bottom so nobody can see that you're underneath. I had like my secret bathrooms all over campus. And um, and then I lost, you know, I lost like 15 pounds pretty quickly. And then I did that um, like on and off for, um, you know, for years after that. Um, and I I did, at that point, I, I didn't start like abusively drinking until much later. But I just had my, um, I had my life set up so that I could like keep winning things, keep getting accolades, like, um, you know, get scholarships. I, I got scholarship to Yale. And um, then I got into all these job schools, and I could really kind of, like, um, control what I now know as my alcoholism, like, just the, the chronic, like, unease and restlessness and that sense of, like, um, you know, I heard somebody describe it as the disease of more. Like, no matter what I have, it feels inadequate. I get what I really wanted, and I realized that wasn't the thing at all. And um, and I and I that kept happening to me, but there was always like another thing that I could strive for. Like I went to college, I fell in love, and you know I had this what I thought was like a perfect relationship. And um, basically, I you know when things were going pretty well, I could kind of like tamp it down and, and manage it. And then when things kind of like felt um, you know when I started to, when when that sense of, of nothing being enough and, and or things didn't go the way I wanted when that came back I would just start um, you know that's when it would start up again and um, I'll just kind of stop but so it was kind of like on and off like that for years and then what ended up happening in my like late 20s to early 30s like just my whole life did not turn out anything like I wanted it to um, you know I my all my relationships fell apart I, I, I'd start like I went to I was really prestigious graduate school, was doing really well, but then it was just too, I don't know, it was just too much work without a guaranteed payoff. And my my bottom line is, like, um, I just don't really like things to be difficult. I don't like discomfort. I don't like uncertainty. I want, I want to, like, win things and get accolades but not have to do all the work. And I, I want, like, I need to know what the results are before I invest. And that just life doesn't happen that way. And all the people that I 
grew up with and went to school with who were just like plodding along doing the next thing. Like, you know, I remember when I came to AA, I heard somebody say, you know, it always seems like the grass is greener on the other side, and that's because the neighborhood's been out there like mowing and fertilizing and weeding the lawn. And I wasn't doing any of that. I just wanted like a really nice lawn. And just, that's it. <laughs> so, um, what ended up happening for me is like, yeah, when, it was that period of like late 20s, early 30s when the wheels started to come off of like, just everything seemed like a disappointment. And I couldn't, and I was constantly doing like self-help things and therapy and everything. And it was like, you know, thought it was depression, it was anxiety, it was this, it was that, and and nothing was ever changing. And I, you know, I would get like, um, you know, I'd work out with a trainer and, and get on a nutrition program and things would get better and then it would go right back to, to where it was. And um, towards, I'll just give you a very quick snapshot from the, the end, well, it's going really fast, so that I can get into my recovery. But um, towards the very end, when, and my, my bulimia became very mixed up with my, my drinking. Um, so I would have like, um, you know, I'd get through like a work day. I was like freelancing as a marketing writer because that, you know, gave me a lot of unstructured time to do what I wanted to do. And um, I would end up, like, I'd park my car a few blocks from my house so nobody would know I was home. And I lived in a beautiful place in Vancouver, like, by the ocean, like, just a dream home. And I had I had so much going for me, and I just could not see it. And I would get, like, all kinds of, I'd, like, order all this takeout binge food, um, have all this alcohol, and I would, like, drink to get drunk, um, binge enough that I could throw up, get the food out of me so I could get more alcohol in me. And then do the same, and then just eat more, eat enough food that I would pass out. And I would do that while watch, like binge watching these, you know, like Sopranos or Six Feet Under or something, something like that. And it's so weird because all of those, every single one of those shows has some 12 step subplot line in it that I would see, <laughs> like, not even pay attention to. And um, then I ended up coming, I ended up moving down to LA. Um, I was, again, like my other solution was to everything was just fall in love and, you know, the right man and the right situation would fix all this mess, this nightmare mess that my life had become. And I ended up um, getting sober for for this relationship. And this was a, a lovely man that I'd gone to college with that his wife had been killed by a drunk driver. And ironically, I was this closet alcoholic. And he had these two little girls who um, were three and six years old at the time when we I started seeing him. And um, I moved down here to be with them. I started going to AA, not for me, for them, to like, because I knew I had to control and manage my drinking. And then I was like, I took over like I was re- I was really into cooking, and I'm a really good cook. And I was like teaching the kids about nutrition and you know cooking these gourmet meals and like packing these healthy school lunches and all this stuff. And in the meantime, I was still you know like. I could hold, tamp it down for like a week or something, and then I'd be off like secretly at a KFC, like binge eating and throwing up, and I never. And I kept that whole thing secret from my husband, and I ended up marrying. And then I ended up um, I, after I moved down here, I was diagnosed six weeks later. I was diagnosed with a really aggressive invasive breast cancer, <clears throat> and then that turned into just just this year of absolute hell of. Um, like, I relapsed twice. I abused my pain medication. I relapsed into alcoholism. I um, I just ended up burning my life to the ground. And I won't even go into just all the gory details, but I remember that I have some very vivid memories from that time, like taking this anti-nausea medication, but like kind of knowing that it was a joke because I want to throw up. 
and um, I did this whole like oncology and nutrition program to, um, you know, when I was towards the end of that cancer treatment. And I would do like five days of like eating the rainbow and antioxidants and all of this stuff, and then I'd be hitting five drive-throughs and, and um, you know, eating like 10,000 calories and throwing up. And that just like went on and on and on. And then um, after I, I completely destroyed that, that marriage and that, um, that life situation and ended up in a treatment center for, you know, alcoholism, bulimia, depression, and everything. And I, you know, that, that brought me to my knees. I, I could, I saw that I was killing myself with alcohol, but I could not surrender the food and I could not get honest about what I was doing or how much I was throwing up. And um, I came here and, you know, that, uh, when I had like less than a year sober, I came here. Um, I just, even though I wasn't even really trying in OA, I got, um, you know, I stopped throwing up. I think I, I was there a couple of months. I lost some weight, felt much healthier, and then I just left because I was done, and uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't want to do the work. Um, and then that unleashed, like, just six months of the, the worst living hell I've ever had. It was, like, I lived out everything from the big book of, of like, of, I could see exactly how progressive it was. Um, I, I did stuff like, um, like, I was always a volume eater, but it was, like, I don't know, something happened where there was literally no limit to how much I could eat. I, I used to throw up maybe once or twice a day. I was throwing up five or six times a day. And that was after I had been to OA and, and left. And then I don't know how that whole six months was a complete blur. But what ended up happening was I, it was January of 2009, and I was in, um, I went to the Whole Foods in San Monica to, like, start fresh and get a whole bunch of healthy food, and instead I bought a bag of binge food, which Whole Foods has plenty of, spoiler alert. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was in the elevator coming up, going down to the parking to binge and throw up in my car, and Michael was in the elevator, and I had seen him come into OA. I sat beside him when he was really fat and in OA, and, uh, <laughs> and he, this was like six or seven months later, and he was thin. And he had a bag of really healthy food. And much more important than that, I mean, he looked like... And I, when I had met him, I'd made a joke to somebody. I was like, God, he's only about 50 pounds away from being dateable. And meanwhile, <laughs> like, he had, like... He stayed, and I left. And, and my, it was like my pride came full circle. And he didn't remember me, but I remembered him. And I just remember, like, he was, his face was shining, and he... He just, he looked happy, joyous, and free, and I was comparing what was in his bag with what was in my bag, and so I came back to OA the next day, and then I never left again after that, and then, then about two years after that, he finally asked me out, so, <laughs> um, but I, what happened when I came back was, I think I had to go through all of that just to get, get surrendered enough to, like, really do the steps from an honest place in OA, to do all my food-related amends, to like, really do a thorough um, first step and, and face, like, I had never really honestly looked at the level of destruction I had done to myself and to my life with food. I just had never, in my head, it was always something that was, like, in the process of being fixed or it was never quite quite that bad. And just to look at just how long I'd been throwing up and what I'd been doing to my body and and, even, and just how much I'd been eating. And just the fact that I'm, I have never had, ever had a normal relationship with food. Um, it was really, um, 
and I, I can just I'll tell you this if you're a neighbor struggling, like I, a lot of it I did not do willingly and I didn't have a good attitude and I was just telling one of our newcomers here before the meeting, like I, it was such a huge thing for me to throw up, to, to, um, to give up the vomiting, just to totally surrender that. And when I did surrender it on my knees, like with prayer, and having um, started the steps around it, it was that was lifted, and that is such that is a miracle that I can never ever um, repay OA for. Like I can't. That alone makes me believe in God because the 22 years that was all that was the prison I lived in, and um, I I really I did definitely definitely struggled with giving up some of my red light foods and and just cleaning up my eat my day to day eating, but. Um, all of that stuff, stuff has just gotten so much better. Um, I'll tell you that, like, what I learned, the biggest thing that I learned is, like, the actions don't care why you take them. You can take the actions with a terrible attitude, and you don't even feel it sincerely in your heart, and it still works. It probably works better. It, it has worked better when I when I um, am more surrendered and more, <laughs> more um, like, really trying to put my heart into it. But the one thing I have done, I've had periods of time where I've been super into OA and really, like, double down on everything and using every tool. I always get exactly out of OA exactly what I'm putting into it. And there's been, I've had a lot of times where my food has been really clean for months and um, I've had, you know, just complete and utter freedom. And then I've had periods of time where I've, you know, right, like the last month has been really difficult. But the thing, the, the difference for me now is, like, I know why that's happening. I know what to do. I have the tools. I know how to use them. And it's never, I'm never that separate from God and my sponsor and, and the steps of OA. I'm like, it's, it's usually pretty easy to get back on the beam once I, when I want to get out of self-will. And um, I, I can just, I really, I hope that all of you, if, if you're new or struggling or you have one foot out the door, um, that you... Like, I, I can absolutely tell you with utter certainty that this works, and it works when it works perfectly. You know, um, I, uh, I've had so much freedom um, from the day-to-day compulsion to, to binge and to throw up and so much, so many, like, experiences. I never, just vacations I never thought I could go on or, like, work situations that were, like, you know, conferences and hotel buffets and things where I just never thought that I could I could ever feel comfortable or or not be completely distracted by food and, and not have, like, I used to just call in fat to life all the time. Like, I would cancel plans because I felt gross in my body, and I, I don't do that. You know, it's, there's just so many things like that that, that um, are, are just inexplicable to me. Um, and, and just the process of going through this, I, I didn't understand that, that going through the steps in OA was different from going through the steps in AA, but it, it completely is. And um, maybe I wanted to leave a little bit of time for, for uh, questions, so I'll, I'll just, uh, so much more rattling around, but hope, <laughs> I, I really, really want to give you um, a sense of the hope and the freedom that, that you can find here. So thanks for letting me show. Anybody have any questions? Okay. Yeah. Um, just talking about this with someone the other day. I think what really helped me, because in the beginning, like, I, 
I, it was all, it was very up and down. Like I'd either, like when I had that moment of surrendering my, my bulimia, and I had it, it was like so almost instant. And the, I'd have, I'd have like entire days where the sense of connection to God was so strong that I didn't, I couldn't imagine there would be any different. And then other times it would sort of disappear. And I would feel like everything felt kind of fake and stupid. And I, like, I would try to do my morning routine, but it didn't feel right. Or, like, um, or I, I, I was always doing the compare and despair where I'd hear people talk about their God and their relationship with God and be like, well, it's never felt like that for me, so what am I doing wrong? And I think what I had to do was, um, like, my sponsor just said, keep speaking, keep speaking. Like, let go of this idea that I'll ever have like a fixed image or like a fixed definition of like this is what God looks like or my God is this and my God is that and just make it more about like the minute by minute um, like little like little surrenders and just keep talking to God and keep asking for help even when it doesn't feel like super strong and powerful and then it comes back and um, and then just like definitely for me a lot of it is about the daily I love all the daily readers I have tons of them and I read a few every day and um, and then I do I I love this idea that I mean, this was in an AA speaker CD that I heard that like God is scientific in the sense that I can do I can do an hour without God and see how it goes and then I can do an hour with God and compare the results and um, and it's never like it never doesn't work like if I'm open to if I open my mind to what God is putting in front of me it's always there so I hope that helps. Um, get on my knees the second I get out of bed because it's way too easy to get off track if I don't do that. Um, make my coffee. I feel like coffee is a gift of God. <laughs> and, um, and then I do some combination. If I only have five minutes, I might just do my daily readers and then do gratitude in my head while I'm driving. I usually, and I almost always make all my calls while I'm driving on the way to work. And then, um, but if I have a little bit more time, I read like two or three daily readers write a gratitude list, maybe write a little bit about what's going on. And then um, I haven't been doing this for a while, but I was doing like a three to five minute meditation and just trying to clear my head. And it, it really helped, but because it didn't feel like clean enough, I stopped doing it. <laughs> so I don't recommend that. But um, yeah. Is there time for one more? But anybody have like a high speed question? <laughs> Here, I my romantic relationship? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> you can verify this. Um, I would say like uh, 10, 10, 11, like just like cleaning up messes as they happen rather than letting them suffer. Not always that good at it, but it's very beneficial. So, <laughs> thank you.